brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. This is the Book of Dad with Robert Benson, an upbeat weekly review of personal anecdotes, helpful tips, and communal chat about the ups and downs of parenting. Your host, Robert Benson, knows that being a dad is not easy, but this show is for all the dads just trying to do their best. Now, here's Robert. Hey, welcome to the Book of Dad radio show. This is Dr. Robert Benson. As always, before we get started, we want to say thank you to Jehovah. Thank him for his son, Jesus Christ. Thank him for our families. Thank him for work and our ability to do the things we're able to do. Book of Dad radio show, NASCA Network, and I'm hanging out with Eddie G. Yo, what's up? Hey, Eddie, man, how you doing? Hey, man, I'm hanging in there. Yeah, um, you know, just, just more and more stuff going on in life and, and, and uh, basically not trying to take ourselves too serious if we can avoid it, huh? Yes, it doesn't make sense, brother. You know, well, I got a question I want to ask you now, and I want, before we bring our guest in, I want both of y'all to think about this question because I want y'all to answer it at the end of the show, okay? I want you guys Is to think money about- money involved? <laughs> I don't give answers for free. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple quarters in my right. drawer over here. But anyway, this is the question I want you to think about, and we're going to roll our guy in. Okay, Comedy versus drama. Which one does a better job of telling life story? But with that said, I want to talk to a guy who's uh, coming in today, a great comedian. I just happened to see him at uh, an improv, if you will, in the uh, talented oasis of the Georgia, middle Georgia area. So without any further ado, we're going to say hello to comedian and pastor, Mr. Rodney Johnson. Hey, Rodney. Am I supposed to speak now? <laughs> no, you're supposed to be thinking, man. <laughs> hey, how you guys doing, man? How you guys doing? Hey, we're doing great, Rodney. How are you? Good, good, good. Well, well thanks for coming in on the Book of Dad radio show, man. It's just uh, always great to have great talent and people who are progressing onward. And as I mentioned earlier, I had the pleasure of meeting you uh, recently at a uh, comedy event in Conyers, Georgia. But before we get into all of that, let's just talk about you and all the stuff that you got going on and how did you become Rodney, the pastor slash comedian? Okay. Um, here, here, here's the story. Here's the short of it. I've been a comedian for 33 years. I started off in 1987 in Dallas, Texas. I went to a comedy show. I saw three comics go up. I said to my girlfriend at the time, I could do that. She said, do it. I did it. Um, I went to the comedian that I had seen that night and said, I'm going to do what you're doing. He said, yeah, well, man, go for it. Um, and that's it, man. And I just started telling jokes and they laughed. And every time, <clears throat> excuse me, every time they laughed, I got this rush, man, this mm -hmm. uh, exhilarating feeling of that instant gratification that 
this was my calling. I thought I was going to be a pro athlete like all the you know, all the kids from my neighborhood, uh, after I got to college on a football scholarship and I couldn't bench 225, I couldn't even take it off the rack. I realized that was not my calling. <laughs> so gee, telling jokes was simple. And I've done that for the last three decades plus three more. And uh, back in 2017, I just felt the Lord lay it on my heart to plant a church based upon all the things that I had seen and witnessed in churches over my lifetime and some of the politics and the division and some of the uh, posturing and political sides of, and, and I just believe that God wanted a church that was representing what he wanted today of church to be, which is a place to lead people to Christ and help those who in need. That is our great commission. And I just didn't feel like a lot of churches today or the churches that I had been associated with were really taking on the ministry aspect of it. And so since I work clean, as you know, I can still do my professional side to pay my mortgage because this <laughs> church stuff does not pay that much. <laughs> you know. so I have to supplement my income with my ability to be funny. <laughs> I tell you what's, what's not funny is the fact that, that there's a lot of uh, pastors out there who don't have that mindset that you do. I mean, I, one thing that disgusts me personally, I'm not sure what Eddie's views are on this, is people profiting off of evangelism. What do you think about it? Well, you know, a lot of times there's misconceptions involved hmm. because the general public, mostly people who don't get involved with church, don't understand the process, right? I always hmm. say, you can't have a soup kitchen without soup, right? Yeah. So yeah, right. you need money to get soup, right? So there's a process here. There's things that have to go on. You know, there's a lot of skeptical people like Dr. Robert Benson, <laughs> who, who, you know, you're always looking for the negative side. Yikes. I, I understand, you know, everything going on. Like they talk about Creflo Dollar in the plane. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that comes up, but that's not really typical of the hierarchy of what goes on. Mm. Well, I hear Rodney well, brewing something in the background there. Well, here. No, no, because see, listen, whenever there's money and money gets to a certain level, people then start positioning for what I consider the three P's, power, position, or privilege. And they start moving based upon the money. If the money is directed to ministry, People are, people are more inclined to participate because they see what's going out. It's when you start taking in money and people don't see it being utilized hmm, for right. ministry, then people start to question. So if you want a $60 million plane for, for this example, but you also have to realize how much money uh, they utilize it in the community for ministry. So if you're looking for a $60 million plane, I'm telling you right now, those offerings, probably exceed a half a billion dollars a year. Mm -hmm. wow. and, and, and their ministry is, so I can't, I, I don't really know what they do with the money, but I can tell you this, when people see, see that that money is utilized for blessing people and helping, and they're a part of that, they don't question as much as if they just sit there and you're giving us uh, numbers to do things that they don't see it. I know as far as the church that I planted, the membership is very aware as to what 
comes in because our church, whatever comes in, we give, we sow a seed every week off of everything that comes in. We sow back into the community in some type of program or ministry or helping us with someone in need. And when people see that, it galvanizes them to want to give more because they see it being utilized to benefit those who are in need. Well, transparency. That's exactly what I was thinking, transparency. I mean, if it's if it's there and it's obvious that the right thing is being done with it, then who can question right. that? Then that's great. Right. So, I mean, right. now I want to dig a little, dive a little deeper, drill a little further down into you because you, you were saying okay. that you started the comedy in Dallas. That's not where you're from, is it? No, I'm originally I'm originally from Baltimore. Went into the military in '84, mm-hmm. got out of the military in '87, and moved to. Uh, well, I moved to Arlington, Texas, because I was going to go to DeVry Institute of Electronics mm-hmm. after I got the military. But that, again, like I said, I went on stage one night, told a joke. My first professional gig was in November of 87. They paid me $450. And at 21, I said to myself, wait a minute, why should I give this school $5,000 a semester to get me a job? And at that time, you know, between four dollars and $600 a week was a good paying job in the 80s. So if I'm starting off at 450, it wasn't rocket science right there. I put the round hole, and that was 33 <laughs> <laughs> in the square peg. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And um, so over the years, how did you make that transformation from being a regular comedian to being a pastor? Okay, well, the pastor, like I said, was 32 years later. That wasn't until 2017. Now, my father was a pastor before he passed in 05, and my brother is now the pastor of my father's church, which is in York, Pennsylvania. My uncle was a pastor. So it was always in my family. It was never my calling. Everybody said it was my calling that I was running from. And I was like, no, I'm not running from anything. I've never been called to to preach or lead or teach. It wasn't until... Like I said, in 2017, but over the years when I saw the um, I saw the decay in our society as far as the African-American family, I didn't see those men that I grew up with who used to stand up on the corner that you respected when you walked past and you called them Mr. Johnson or, or Mr. Smith or whoever. I didn't see that. So I began to uh, speak at at-risk schools and uh, violence against uh, youth against violence conferences and then all of a sudden i had this overwhelming urge in 2017 to then you know do something and that's when i felt i had the call and then i took the you know the necessary steps after that you know did my trial sermon in los angeles because my my former church was in california when i lived out there so i did my trial sermon out there got licensed got ordained out there and then i planted a church here and i just believe that's what the lord wanted me to do at this time in my life so now I'm just trying to transition out of, because I work on Royal Caribbean Cruise Line, mm-hmm. you know, because that, that job pays the mortgage. Right, right. Pastoring pays food and cable. <laughs> 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 you know, and like I told my church, I said, hey, let me tell y'all something. I don't buy into all this stuff of like what I have. What I have is before I planted this church, I'm probably the first pastor that had Alexis when he went to the church who downsized to a Mini Cooper so he could, so he could pass. That's why that night when you came to the comedy show, when Brad was talking about all these passes of, of failed entertainers, I said, well, I'm reversed. That's right. I, I still get dates. I still get dates as a comic. So I didn't fail, but I know what he's saying because there are a lot of uh, uh, um, 
pastors who were who wanted to be actors or singers or musicians or whatever, mm-hmm. and they didn't make it. And you know, they did, you know, uh, get to the church. But I'm like reverse, you know. I'm like I'm trying to maintain as a pastor. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's that's a great great point. It's hilarious, but it's interesting how a lot of venues and professions and people who do different things kind of get that foundation from from uh, the church, if you will. But we're going to take a quick break there, Pastor Rodney Johnson and uh, right. my man Eddie G. We're going to talk about just the whole thing that you got going on and plus the fact that you're an author. We'll be right back. Book of that radio show. Hey, this is Erica Janae, and you're listening to Life and Spirit Radio. The U.S. dollar will collapse. Learn why you should buy physical silver and gold. Order Dr. G's P3. Plan, prepare, protect. Visit www.ygliv.com or call 800-705-6840. And we're right back. This is Dr. Robert Benson with my main man, Eddie G. And we're talking to the hilarious Rodney Johnson, the uh, Comedian and pastor, <laughs> poor, poor house pastor. <laughs> oh, 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 now you just now you just switched it. First you said pastor comedian. Now you go on comedian pastor. <laughs> 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 when you left, we left off. Man, we were talking about how there's a correlation and maybe a connection between a lot of different venues in the entertainment industry and people who've been a part of both. You were talking about how. One has kind of catapulted you into the other and vice versa. Talk a little bit more about that because it's hilarious, but it's real, and we want to hear more about it. Well, you know, sometimes in our – listen, I remember flying – I think I was flying to Barbados once, and I was sitting next to a guy named Alto Bolden. I think named Alto Bolden. I think Alto – something Alto, but he was a a world-class sprinter. Uh, he'd been in the Olympics and everything. And I was sitting next to him, and he was saying, man, how how come when I meet – comedians they're so down to earth and i said one of the reasons probably is what you do is specific you are a olympic sprinter very few people will ever get to that level of sprinting or track and field so that makes people become a little they feel like they're a little bit more exclusive because everybody but as a comic you can stand on the same stage that eddie murphy sinbad and richard Pryor stood on and told jokes so it makes it more human more uh touchable more tangible so in our field, there's always somebody aspiring to do something else, to touch that stage or touch that moment. So that's why you have comedians who want to be singers, singers who want to be comedians, actors who want to be uh, uh, basketball players, basketball players who want to be actors. And basically, they, uh, they, they galvanize around what they see. And, and when you make it look simple, people feel like, well, I could do that. Well, I want to do that. I like to try that. And so I think that for me, it was just, I naturally, I naturally was funny, and I took it. And then once they paid me, it didn't take a rocket science to figure out what came next. So <laughs> I just took that journey and I marched on with that. And then you meet so many people. I mean, come on, man! I I sat at the table with Steve Harvey, J. Anthony Brown, George Wallace. Wow. I used to run a one nighter in Los Angeles, man, and uh, I had Rudy Ray Moore to come through my spot. I had uh, Don D.C. Carey, who is absolutely probably one of the the best comics that walk. I mean, Don T.C. Carey rips up a room, especially if he gets into his group. Uh, Ronaldo Ray came to... Uh, Rest his uh, soul. Say again? Rest his soul, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So many, so many greats, man. I mean, so, again, 
when people would be in awe, to me, they were just co-workers. You're like, oh, yeah, I got Rudy Ray coming this week. And they're like, Dolomite? I'm like, yeah, he'll be there this week. So so I think that's what it is for me. And and like I said, after a certain point in your life when you've had success and you've seen so many wonderful things, and then you start seeing the despair, it, it something moves on you makes you want to give back. And, and I, I know that's what happened for me. It made me want to just reach back and try to encourage these young guys that there's opportunity because a lot of these young guys just don't know. They're not – I call it the James Evans effect. That's the title that I put on it. When I grew up, there were a lot of James Evans. So I understood that authority and that position. These young boys today, they don't, they don't know that. And that's why they gravitate to the things that they think are attractive, thug life and the negativity, because that's what they see. That's the best of the images they see. They don't see James Evans anymore. And I wanted to make that different. Well, like you said, it, it's a matter of what you see and being in the circle with so many great comedians. I'm sure that you've watched their careers go from one level to another. Yes. Um, that also does that give you inspiration, you know, to know that anything's possible because this is a person that I personally have with. Yes, it gives you it gives you inspiration if that's what you're looking for. See, I was never looking for fame. I just wanted to never work another day job in my life. You know, when I, when I started in 1987, um, I had three goals, and that was to never work a day job again, uh, make a hundred thousand dollars a year, buy a house I can live in forever, and buy uh, a car off the showroom floor. I always thought that was important because every time my dad went to go buy a car, I would say, Dad, you should get that car right there. He'd go, no, nah, son, that's on the showroom floor. I'll get that one over there. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, but, but Dad, this car is nice. He said, yeah, son, but that car costs too much money. That, that car has all the things in it. I'm getting this one over here. And so from that, that image, of, as a child, I always say, I'm buying the car off the showroom floor. And I can honestly say the last three cars that I purchased, was sitting on the showroom floor, and I had them back it out. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Purposely. <laughs> I love to see them open them doors and back that car, and they have to move them. And I'm like, yeah, that's the one I want right there, the one everybody touched, but I get to drive. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, Rodney, you said something earlier, and, and you, you went over this in your routine about how but we don't respect our elders like we used to. And we were right. talking, you were talking about how, uh, share the story where you talked about how you never realized what some guy's first name was because someone called him that because all you ever knew him was as was, was Mr. Right. It was Mr. Walker. Um, mm -hmm. some of my, one of my childhood friends from Baltimore, his, his parents were on a cruise one day and I saw him and I was surprised. And I said, wow, Mr. and Mrs. Walker, you know, and just then the cruise director had walked up behind me. So I introduced my friend's parents from back home to the cruise director. I said, hey, Ken, this is Mr. and Mrs. Walker. And Mr. Walker stuck out his hand and said, how you doing, Ken? Zachariah. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, because at that time I was like 48. I'm like a 48-year-old man. I've been knowing this man since 1973 when his son and I were in third grade together. And I only knew him and his, his wife as Mr. and Mrs. Walker. Right. So when he said Zachariah, I was like, wow. So when I got off the cruise ship, I called my buddy Todd. I said, man, your parents were on my cruise last week. I didn't know your father's name was Zachariah. And he said, me either. Because 
he just dead to me. And Todd is a very successful executive. I mean, six, high six-figure income, oh, wow, wow. Uh, corporate cat, but it always was dad to him, you know. So that's that's what it was. Because even in my neighborhood, when I when you asked me, like where I live here in uh, Villa Rica, right. I can go up my street. I do not know anybody on my street first or last name, except for maybe the person to the left and to the right. Mm -hmm. But if I take you to my street in Baltimore, I can walk up that street, tell you who lives in the house, the kids. I, I can tell you everything about that street that I lived on for 20 years. And I've lived on this street for 20 years. Matter of fact, I didn't even know that my um, the lady at my dentist office who did the check-in, this is sad, and I know this is really sad. <laughs> I used my P.O. box for my mailing address, so when I would go to the dentist, my P.O. box would come up. It wasn't until I got married and my wife started going to my dentist where she used the physical address that she put down the physical address, and the woman who had signed me into the dentist office for eight years lives on my street. Wow. <laughs> Let me say that to y'all again, because y'all missed that one. <laughs> lives on my, I have passed her house for eight years, never saw her. And then when she said spyglass, she said, yeah, that's where I live. I remember when I married Rodney, I moved, you know, moved into his house. He lives on spyglass. She said, Rodney lives on spyglass? I said, yeah. Then I saw and I said, I've been here since 2000. He said, I've been here since 2002. Never saw her. Wow. And that's but different. Baltimore, community, community is different, you know, because it's similar okay. to what you're saying. We grew up in an in a inner city, row homes, house next to each other, mm -hmm. like Baltimore, you know what I mean? Yep. And I had uh, my cousin, he went into the Navy and he brought a friend uh, home to Chester from Virginia. And when he came to town, all he could talk about was these houses were pushed up against each other. <laughs> Right. And he was like, hey, man, it was like all in the family. <laughs> yep. Yep. But like you said, but, you, you know your neighbors. But you knew people. And I think that in those times, uh, we, we, we depended on each other. You depended on people looking out for your kids and you and you looked out for each other. And you knew people. And, and it was just more of a community, uh, a neighborhood, a community, whatever title they use for it. But today. People are very successful. They come home. They go in their house. They lock the door. You don't see them. And since I don't get up in the morning and commute anyway, I never saw the people coming and going. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I tell this story that when I lived in California, <laughs> and I was married, uh, and I had two, you know I had two young children at the time, and um, my neighbors about three doors down, they never spoke to me, you know. And I've always had luxury cars because. That's what my I was successful in my business. I'm not talking about Bentleys. I'm just talking about like I had a Mercedes or BMW and a Lexus, you know, regular nice luxury cars. Mm -hmm. And um, but at the time I was maybe like I don't know, maybe 30 at the time. Yeah, I was, I was 28 when I moved to uh, Los Angeles. So um, you know, I would walk my kids to the bus stop in the morning, come back home, then I do some yard work. So. I had some neighbors that would pass in the morning. They would see me. They would wait. But they never stopped, never introduced themselves to me, and I didn't know them. So three years later, I'm outside one morning doing some yard work, and they come down the street, and the guy stops, puts his window down, and says, hey, man, what's your name? I said, Rodney Johnson. He then slaps his wife and said, baby, I told you. I told you. That was him. Man, you're a comedian. I said, yeah. He said, man, we saw you on TV last night. And I was telling my wife, I was laying in bed, he came on. And I said, honey, 
that's the dude that lives down the street. He said, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. That's him. <laughs> and, she said, and then the guy looked at me and said, man, you a comedian. I said, yeah. He said, all this time, I thought you was a drug dealer. <laughs> I, said, I said, why would you think I was a drug dealer? He said, look, man, everybody else go to work. I see you walk your kids to the bus stop. Look, it's 9 o'clock. You out here washing your car. I said, oh. I said, yeah, no, I'm a comedian. But what I would do is I would take red-eye flights out at night, and I didn't want nobody to know that my wife and my kids would be home by themselves. Right, 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 so, you right. know, I and, and I always had my cars in the garage. I never left them out because back in my neighborhood, you could always look in the driveway and tell who was home based upon if you saw a car or not. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, I never wanted people to know if I was home or not. So I always had my cars in the garage unless I was washing them. But that guy thought I was a drug dealer. For I said, so that's why you never spoke to me? Said, yeah, be honest with you, dog. Yeah, I told my wife. I said, I ain't fooling with that joker. He got these nice cars. He always washing them and cutting his grass. Everybody else going to, going to work. <laughs> That's a, that's a great story, Randy. But listen, we're going to take another quick break here. When we come back, All right. I want to talk about how bashful you are on the radio. You know what I mean? Because so, you sound like a guy who has some experience. And also, we're going to talk about your book. This is Dr. Robert Benson with my main man, Eddie G. and Rodney Johnson. We'll be right back. Well, great, great, great day to every one of you. This is Dr. Gilbert Coleman. And man, yes, it's out. It has finally landed. Transforming the Minds of Men, the book is out. You need to make sure you rush to get your copy right away. Man, the books are flying off the shelves as we speak to you. So therefore, you need to make sure you get your copy right away. You can go to GilbertColeman.com. That's my website, GilbertColeman.com, and order your book right now. I guarantee you, you're going to be blessed beyond measure because it will absolutely begin to address some of the things that you've been asking questions about for so long. Even some of the questions that you guys would ask me and some of the various men's conferences and seminars and workshops that I've done. But now, the reality of it, the book is here. Hey, Apostle Coleman, this is Tyrell Austin. I want to thank you for that book. It has literally changed my life. I read that book so much. It, it amazes me that you had that much wisdom to help people like that. I, I, I thank you. Transforming the Minds of Men. You need to get your copy right away. Again, go to my website, GilbertColeman.com. That's GilbertColeman.com. You're about to have your life be blessed in a way like you've never been blessed before. Hey, welcome back to the Book of Dad radio show with Dr. Robert Benson and me, Eddie G. Today, we are blessed to have a fabulous guest, Pastor Oh, hold on, I've been past uh, a news flash. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, man. You know what? Each, each time we come back, y'all change my title. Now we left and passed Now we don't even do comedian no more. We now we just blessed. Now everybody gets super. We, we blessed and highly favored to have with us. <laughs> we put drug dealer on the note. That's what we put on there. <laughs> Yeah, on section four, you'll be Dr. Yeah, exactly. I'll have my PhD before the show is over. All I got to do is they'll say something profound for my dissertation. <laughs> so we have Dr. Pastor Rodney Johnson drug here. Dealer. <laughs> drug right. dealer and comedian. Yeah, all of it. All of the above. And uh, we're having some great conversation here. And uh, we want to hear a little bit about your influence in the radio industry because we we hear you have the radio voice and the radio style tell us where that came from 
Well, to be honest with you, man, uh, I have been doing radio, you know, I, I call it spot duty, you know, here and there over the years. But I remember my first time, my introduction into radio, a friend of mine wanted me to be like his partner in crime on the radio. And I was talking and it was 100.3 jams in Dallas, Texas. And I kept on saying, honey, because I was from Baltimore. <laughs> and I said, you live in 100.3. And he kept on saying, can you say 100? I'm like, dog, the word is honey. <laughs> and so it was after that experience I realized that if you wanted to be on radio, you had to be just a little bit more articulate and have a little bit more of a pronunciation of certain words. You know, <laughs> uh, So that was my first introduction. It was with Ken Bell in Dallas, Texas. Um, and I think a guy named Russ Parr came in and eventually got the job. I and um, I used to Parr. work with a member Russ Parr. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And then I used to do some stuff for Tom Joyner cause when he was the fly jock, when he would fly back and forth to um, Chicago. I would do some of his anniversary shows. And um, I enjoy working with Tom Joyner in those early years uh, until I said to Tom Joyner's people, I was wondering if I could get paid. And uh, that was the end of that. <laughs> that was your last appearance. Right? Yeah, that was my last appearance. Because, see, what I didn't know is that some of these mediums, they want to pay you on exposure. Now, they're going to keep the money, but they're going to expose you so that when you go to these places, you can say, hey, this is the guy from whatever show, whatever show. I, I wasn't concerned about exposure. I was concerned about getting paid. So, um, so I did that for a couple of years in Dallas, and then uh, Steve Harvey left WGCI. They were looking for a um, host to co-host the morning show with the new uh, morning guy, and I went. I remember I went to the first uh, post, I think, what's it called? Was it pre-production meeting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, pre-production meeting. Uh, went to the pre-production meeting, and the guy sat down and said, okay, man, I'm going to say this. What are you going to say? And I said, when? He said, well, well, when we on the air? I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to say when we get on the air. I, oh, you want it to be scripted out? Yeah, we we trying to get an idea. I said, oh, I can't do that. I, right. I like to, you know, it's an improv thing. You ask me a question, I give you an answer, and we keep rolling. He said, well, we kind of need to know where you're going. I said, well, I don't know where I'm going until you ask me the question. He said, well, I'm asking you the question now. I said, well, I can't tell you the answer, because if I tell you the answer now, I might change it by the time you ask me, you know, an hour from now. Mm -hmm. And then he looked at me and said, I don't think this going to work out. I said, I don't think it's going to work out either. <laughs> Plus, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, bro. Y'all ain't paying enough money to get up this early. I'm a comic. <laughs> you know, it was 4 o'clock in the morning to go to a pre-production meeting, to go on air at 5.30 to get off at 9, and then go to a post-production. I said, bro, we don't need this many meat. Funny is funny. It's going to live or die by funny. Right. But that was, you know, that was then. And then, like I said, I, and, and when you did comedy, when you went to different cities, you always had to do the morning show in a different city. So I did, you know, I performed on the, well, you know, I don't say perform. I, I was on the Bob and Tom show and different shows across the country. They had morning shows in Vegas. I would do the morning show to promote the comedy club, you know, and your appearance that weekend. You did a lot. I did it in Savannah. Mm -hmm. I, I did my, I did it down there in uh, Oak California. <laughs> down there in Oak California, man. And I went on down there and told them, I said, man, y'all come on out if y'all don't mind seeing a brother from Baltimore that talk just like this, man. <laughs> and they came out just to see if I would really talk like that. <laughs> it was nice. It, they bought Bueller and Debbie and Karen and, <laughs> Even Pastor John came past, and I gotta, I gotta hear that young fella there. <laughs> I did it in Jamaica. Yo, man, tell me you come down, man. What are you going to tell your people, man? Say something to the people. Tell them, tell them about what I'm funny you're going to be tonight at the show. I tell them. 
Like, man, you Jamaican and Indian? <laughs> <laughs> and Irish. So I like a Jamaican Indian oh. lucky charm cereal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, me tell you we can do one thing for sure, man, if we go that way now. <laughs> if you really want to speak Jamaican, just, just take some of the words out. Man, me go, you see? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then just go, yeah. At the end, you're good. <laughs> I got a question for you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> because like I, I grew up I grew up in church and yeah. you are absolutely right. There's some funny stuff going on every every time, man. Give us some examples of some of the funniest things you've seen happen in church. Turn to your neighbor. <laughs> turn turn to your neighbor. <clears throat> I dare you to go find five people right now. How about taking a three-minute praise break? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Mm-mm. See, in the, in the African-American church, in order for you to feel like you had a great time, they have to create this atmosphere of movement. So therefore, I go to church. They, I told a lady one time, I said, look, I ain't turning. I'm not turning. You hear him, right? <laughs> you sitting right here. I'm not going to turn and repeat what he said. Why he? Because really, it's just a filler to get your thoughts together for what you're about to say next. <laughs> like if you see a comic on stage and he bombing, he'll say some stuff like this. Yeah, man, I be watching TV, man. I be watching TV. That means I'm bombing. I got nothing to say. And I'm trying to find something to get y'all to go with me. Or he'll be like, yeah, y'all give it up for me, man. I just moved up my mama's house. That means give me a false break to make it seem like I'm killing, but I ain't killing. But it does give an appearance that y'all are having a good time because y'all applaud. So these are just things. So when I'm in church, when I hear all that stuff, I said, man, just preach the sermon. Now, I preach. I've been pastoring a year and a half. I preach. I have never turned nobody to turn to their neighbor because their neighbor is sitting right there. Now, I might tell you to go tell your neighbor who's not here what I said. I can do that. But why don't I tell somebody, turn to your neighbor. And then when you turn, do you have to say it the way he said? Neighbor, neighbor, God, God, have. Then he never tell you when to stop. So do you keep on repeating what he said? Or should he at least tell you that's enough? I would keep going. I would keep going. Uh, Huh? You know, the funny thing, man, is that you mentioned something earlier where you were being facetious, but within your experience, you've been doing this for decades. How do you know and when do you know if you're not hitting the spot with the audience? And what do you do to make that adjustment to get them reengaged? You you know, you know when you ain't doing good because they looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> looking at you serious. They, they looking at you. They laughing. Look, this, listen, listen, this ain't rocket science. <laughs> you know, like I just said, when you talk to people say stuff like give it up for stuff, mm-hmm. give it up for all the fine black women in here. That means they ain't got nothing to say. <laughs> like, okay, you... You came to my show that other night when I was in Kanye. And not one time did I tell a joke and I said these words. Y'all ought to be laughing right there, right there. That was <laughs> well, the other guy did a couple times. <laughs> I, I, I can't, listen, I can't help that. That's your assessment. He is a co-laborer in the vineyard. I'm going to oh, leave man. it at that. That was, that was, <laughs> oh, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, what, I, what I'm saying is, is that you know, you, you know as a performer, what's going on see mm-hmm. one thing i i learned this from sinbad i used to work with sinbad mm-hmm. and i remember when i first worked with sinbad i was opening for him well here's a sinbad story mm-hmm. 
I took my aunt to New Jersey. I drove her to New Jersey because between gigs, I needed money. So I would find any job to make a couple of dollars. And my aunt would hire me to drive her out of town to different places for her business. So I drove her to Atlantic City. I don't believe in horoscopes, but I read it just that particular morning and said, you're going to meet somebody great. I said, oh, that's exciting. I get to Atlantic City, the hotel we're staying at, Sinbad is staying at the same hotel. And I'm like, wow. And at that time, I always carried my promo pack along with me. So sure enough, I go into the hotel. 20 minutes later, here comes Sinbad. I see him. I go, yo, hey, Sinbad, what's up, man? My name is Roddy Johnson. I'm a comic, man. Here's my promo, man. Can you check it out? Tell me what you think. He said, sure. He did a typical laugh. How Sinbad laughed. He goes, ha, ha, ha. And then he let the ghost go. That's what he did. Sinbad got this laugh. Ha, ha, ha. And he walked off. And I'm like, wow, that is Sinbad. And Sinbad, like, 6'6". Six, six. So right. I'm like, yo, that was oh, Sinbad. I didn't know he was that big. Yeah, he like, because I'm 6'4", so right. he like 6'6". Six, six. He's taller than me. And uh, so I walk off, and uh, I had a friend that uh, she was like a door person at that particular hotel. And I said, hey, you think you can get me some tickets to see the Sinbad show? Because he was going to be there with uh, Brad Garrett. I, she said, yeah, I'll get you some tickets. So sure enough, man, we go to the to the show. I'm sitting there. I watch the whole show. Him and Brad, it's a two-hour show. Everybody's funny. They do their thing. And she said, do you want to meet him? I said, I would love to meet him. So she goes to his brother, Mark, and say, hey, this is a young comic. He wants to meet Sinbad. He said, uh, after the second show, it'll be fine. So I go back, sit down. I watch another show. Now I've watched four hours worth of comedy. The show's over. It's midnight. I go in the back room. There's a dressing room. There's a lot of people there. And everybody trying to talk to Sinbad. And I want the type of people. I wait for the moment to present itself. And there was a lot of people, you know, talking. I couldn't get to them. Finally, I see him go to the dressing room. I go, boom, this is my moment. So I run up to Sinbad. I said, hey, Sinbad, how you doing, man? I'm Roddy Jones. I gave you my package earlier. He said, yeah. I said, man, what's the key to, to making it? He said, keep working. Keep being funny. And he walked away. <laughs> wow. And I was mad. I'm like, keep working, keep being funny. How is that the, the key? And, and, and sure enough, it was. That was the key. Keep working, keep being funny. So I took that information, and I can, continued to keep working, and I kept being funny. And then one day... I got the call to open for him in Wilmington, Delaware. And so now, two years later, he was telling me the truth. Keep working, keep being funny. Now I'm just opening that. So when I see him, I said, hey, Sam, but now this time I'm a five-year vet. So when I see him, I said, hey, Sam, but how you doing? He said, how you doing, man? You look, you look familiar. I said, yeah, keep working, keep being funny. And I walked <laughs> off. <laughs> so, so that night I'm opening for him. I do the show. I do my 20 minutes. I get a standing ovation. Sinbad is sitting in my peripheral view. Now, if you've ever had an idol or somebody that you, you know, like look up to, when they sit in your peripheral, that is intimidating because you're thinking, do I measure up? Wow, I don't know. He's sitting right there. I go out and do my 20 minutes. I get a standing ovation. I walk off stage. I never got an encore before, so I didn't know what to do. So I walk off the stage. They still cheering. Sinbad turns me around, pushes me back out there. The roar goes up even louder. So I finished the show. Sinbad does the show. Said, "Man, you're really funny. If I ever get a chance to help you, I will." I go and do the second show. I'm doing my show. I get to a joke. It doesn't really go, but I do it anyway. And then I do the rest of the show, and I walk off. And Sinbad walks up to me and says, "Hey, man, why did you do that joke?" I said, "Which one?" He tells me which joke. And he said, "I said, oh, that's because that's joke number three. He said, "Number three? I said, "Yeah." I do this joke first, this second joke, this the third joke. He said, but it didn't go. You still was doing it. I said, yeah, I know because it's number three. He said, man, look, take that paper, throw it out. You live in the moment, perform in the moment. You go off what they give you. You hear. You have all that in your head. You just, you just put it together as they're laughing. 
And that was it. I never looked at another list. I never set up another show. I just walked out on stage like that show I did that night. Most of that show, I mean, the jokes are there. They're in my head. But if you see me five times, you'll see it in five different orders because mm -hmm. I learned to listen to my crowd. When you guys gave me, you know, it was a small crowd, like maybe 30, 35 people that night. Plus, I had like three or four people on the right side that were talking the whole night. I didn't want to make the show about them, so I just ignored them because the people that were engaged were going to stay engaged. And I didn't want the distraction of bringing them in. So I continued to do what I do. I did. And then you just listen. So some, some jokes gave me a little momentum. I rolled it out as far as I could. Then when I realized, okay, man, this night's coming to an end, I could feel it. I just pulled it in. I wanted to make sure I go on the high note. That's when I did the Jehovah Witness joke. I said, now, these jokers laugh and clap at this. I'm out of here. I ain't going to do another one. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hold on, Rodney. We're going to take a quick break and come back to that. And uh, we're going to okay. get into your book as well. All right. All right. We'll be right back with the Book of Dad radio show. Are you struggling with debt collectors? Scared to answer the phone? Order Dr. G's Man Survival Kit and learn how to stop creditors. Visit www.yglib.com or call 800-705-6840. Hey, we're right back. Uh, this is Dr. Robert Benson with my main man, Eddie G and Rodney Johnson. Wow, this guy is just unbelievable. I mean, and the uh, people who he's worked with is a laundry list or a who's who's list of the popular people who are comedians and people who do radio. It's just unbelievable to have this kind of uh, a guy with these kind of credentials and experience on the Book of Dad radio show, which we try to do. We try to bring in people who can enlighten us on the different uh, venues that are out there. But before we get back into this, I want these two gentlemen, I'm going to start with Eddie G first, and I want them to ask or answer the question I asked of both of them before we started. Okay, the question was, does comedy or drama do a better job of telling life story? Eddie G? Uh, I, I'm going to lean on the comedy side. Okay. And, okay. and and do you want to know why? Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Don't get long-winded because we want to talk to Rodney. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to make this quick. I, I think that, you know, when you tell a story hmm. that is humorous, people can relate to it. Hmm. And, you know, it's also easy to swallow sometimes because well, it can be a serious subject. It can be something that, you know, is um, depressing or whatever, but when it's told in a certain way, a comedian can give you insight. He can give you a foresight and he can take that same story and make you think about it. So well, that's why I, I'd rather hear a comedic story than drama. Okay. That's a great point. Cause they may, I, I thought that, uh, you know, no offense and no affront to Rodney. One of the guys who was the greatest at doing what you just said was Richard Pryor, because I often believe that a, com a comedian isn't fun or funny unless people are laughing at him and his experiences. Okay, so Rodney, we're gonna to defer to you to answer that question now, you ready? Yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna side with Eddie. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's simple, all right. <laughs> I think he expounded upon that so beautifully. There's no, no way that I can top that. I'm not even, I'm gonna I'm a, I'm a take a, a second power on that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you ain't getting off that easy, man. Forget it. <laughs> okay, so, what's the question again? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to narrow it down for you even more. Okay. Give us a life-altering humorous experience that you use and that you have used for 
to become a successful person. I mean, obviously there was some pain associated with it, but you were able to okay. transform it to a humorous situation that make you become who you are and that you share. All okay. Hmm? Okay. I will share with the same story I shared last night in this marriage counseling session. Wow. One of the things that, that I think that our youth plays a very important part in our adulthood. We either going to be just like our parents or the opposite. My father yelled at us. I yelled at my kids. My brother, <clears throat> you got to push him off a cliff for him to yell. He went the opposite <laughs> way. He didn't like yelling. But if, for me, it was structure and authority. So I didn't take it personal. I just understood that I needed that guidance. But when I was 10 years old, I grew up in the city. We used to play baseball in the parking lot. You know, a raggedy car was first base, the hill was second base, et cetera. When I moved to the suburbs, to the county, I was going to play Little League Baseball, and it cost $19 to play. And I asked my dad, could I play? He said, sure. So I went back to my friends in the city and said, I'm going to play on a real baseball field with a real uniform. And they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, yes, I am. It cost $19. It was three times, <clears throat> excuse me, it was three times to sign up. The first time, the first day to sign up, my father forgot. He said, son, I forgot. When is the next one? I said, next Friday. The next Friday came. I said, dad, it's $19. Can I sign? He said, he don't have $19. He said, I don't have $19. I said, you don't have $19. And myself, as a kid, I'm like, you don't have $19? You work every day? You don't have $19? <laughs> $19. You don't have $19. You work every day. You don't have $19? So I couldn't sign up that week. The third week, which was the next Friday, my father was drunk. And from that day forward, I, I realized I was never going to depend, any, depend on anybody to get me what I need. I was going to go out there and make sure it happened because I realized then you would never disappoint you. Others can. Others have a potential. Mm. But you would never disappoint you. And I didn't want to disappoint myself no, no more. And I didn't want to be disappointed. So I made sure I relied on myself. And from that day forward, every time I wanted to play a sport or anything, I made the money. I used to cut grass, hack bags at the grocery store, shovel snow because I grew up mm. in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Whatever it took. I was going to do. And that's why it led to my success, meaning there was no reason for me not to get the gig or get to the gig. Or I, I didn't come up with no excuses. I didn't want any excuses. I felt there was excuses for women and children. That's my opinion. Now, somebody else may call in and disagree with that and have their own talk show about it. <laughs> <laughs> don't make excuses. <laughs> if it come out of your mouth, do it. And if you don't let it come out your mouth, nobody's depending on it. I'm good with that also. But if you say you're going to do it, Get it done. You called me and said, hey, man, I want you to do my radio show. I said, when? We came up with a day and a time. I was available for the day and time. I didn't call you. Talking about, oh, man, look here. Um, ah, You don't want to hear all that. You want to be ready <laughs> when you call. So I don't believe in all that. So that that story represents my life. Um, oh, from man. that day forward, I realized what I had to do to make sure that I was going to be successful. And I didn't want nobody to be disappointed. Well, you know what, man? That is such, such a profound thing because I, I – I believe in that 100%. I mean, I mean, I'm not rich by no stretch of the imagination, but the one thing that I do have and I like for people to know is golden is what I say. And That's right. If, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. If I say if I can't do it, I'm going to tell you I can't do it. And it's that simple. You know, but, you know, you're also a military guy yourself, you know, that that's just another thing. But I'm not going to steal your thunder. But please, 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 before you give us one more good quip, talk to us about your book, Ronnie. Well... My book. <laughs> I want to slow it down as I begin to talk about my book because my book is filled with I can. <laughs> hey, y'all messing with me? Hold on, man. Let me get my let me get my old school preacher voice. <clears throat> now, this book, the book that I am talking about, 
was written by man for man through man because of man. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Basically, my book is simple, man. Uh, before I turned 50, about 50 days before turning 50, I was just thankful that I was getting close to that age, and I thought about some of my friends who didn't make it, so I was just mm. thankful to God to, to get to what we consider half a century. So I wanted to do something special. Didn't want to do a party. Didn't want to buy anything because, you know, every anniversary I would buy something or do a party, you know, the milestone years. And so I wanted to give back. That was the beginning of wanting to give back. And I said, I'm just going to write a post about something that I believe, something that I lived through, something that I, you know, I value. And so each morning on Facebook, I wrote a post, you know, about be on time or how to treat your wife or what should you do for your kids or something like that. I just wrote a post. Well, so many people like the post that my sister sent me back all the posts at the end and said, now you should go back and write the backstory to all these posts. Mm. And that's what I did. So that's why the book is called 50 Posts and a Piece of Toast. Because it was 50 posts, and a piece of toast was the only thing to rhyme with 50 posts. <laughs> <laughs> so so there's no symbolism there other okay, than okay. the simplicity <laughs> of making toast. Um, and that's how I got the toast. So basically the book is just a bunch of posts and, and I talk about stuff. I talk about fear. I talk about the uh, incident that caused me to quit my job in 1988 and leave to pursue comedy. Uh, I talk about um, what happens to you when you reach your goals. You know, goals are beautiful to set. But when you reach the goals, what a lot of people don't know is as long as you have a goal, you're, you're reaching, you're climbing, you're moving towards that goal. But the moment you get to that goal, what happens? you come back down and tell somebody else. So I wrote this post called the Mount Everest experience, how people train to go up to Mount Everest. Well, a lot of people don't know that the people who die on Mount Everest, their bodies are still there because they're frozen. They can't rescue you hmm. when you die on Mount Everest. So when you're trying to get to the pinnacle of Mount Everest, you have to go through and see people who had the same desire and goal as you who did not make it, but yet you still have to persevere through a field of dead dreams and hopelessness that's left up on that mountain to reach it. And everybody that goes to Mount Everest do the same thing. They plant a flag, they take a picture, and then they come back down. And then they tell you that you can get there. Hmm. Mm. Wow. Boy, that's profound. Y'all ain't heard that on this show before. I got both of y'all quiet on yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, no, Hey, I'm coming. I know he ain't got but five members, but I'm gonna be six and seven. <laughs> I got my scuba gear on. That's so deep, man. <laughs> no, no. What I got on are my boots because. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my is... grandfather said, "Keep living, boy. You'll have all them stories." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hey, that's profound, Rodney, of course, but we want to know how to keep in touch with you, man. What's going on with you and, you know, some highlights, some stuff that's coming up. Talk to us, man. Well, you know, I feel like this this podcast tonight has been so successful. I think we need a part two and part three. I'm just saying. (laughs) I I agree. (laughs) Maybe even your own podcast. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you a key to my success. One key that I've always lived by. I stay in my lane, bro. I love doing this on other people's dreams and aspirations and goals. See, I I, I never pursued the entertainment. Uh, I I stayed in my lane, meaning I like to be the performer. I didn't want to be the director, the writer. I didn't want all them hats because I I like simple things. So, no, I love being a part of your podcast or whoever else calls me. Um, I leave next week 
to go on the Royal Caribbean ship to pay the mortgage. That's yeah. the only reason I'm going. If I ain't had a mortgage, I wouldn't be going. Um, <laughs> but, you know, my church is I, also I have a Saturday night ministry. I'm Saturday night at six o'clock out in Villa Rica, Georgia. I'm a Saturday night ministry. Um, everything I've ever done was always out of the box. I always took a, a, a unconventional route, right. even in comedy. You know, when everybody wanted to go to the improv and the funny bone, they were like, yo, man, where you working this week? I'm working at the improv in Miami, Coconut Grove. And they go, Rodney, where are you working? I said, I'm working over at Billy Jack's. They go, Billy Jack's? I'm like, yeah, it's in Florida, but it's outside of Miami, but... You know, they said, why are you working over there? I said, because how much are you making at the Empire? $400. Well, I'm making eight fifty. What's the key? The <laughs> name or the money? I can care less about the name. Right. I want the money. So you go to Miami Improv, you know, George Wallace was the headliner, you know, but over here, I could be the middle act at $850. So what I'm saying is that's what I pursue. So when, when the Lord laid it on my heart to, to plant this church, I, I, I started on a Saturday night because every church in america i can use on a saturday night because they close yeah, but right. i couldn't get that's no true. sunday yeah. so i started on a saturday because i could get a saturday night and i always believed in paying so nobody was going to turn down money and i was a new church i paid and then the lord blessed me to have my own location three months later so it, it, i always like to tell people this my success has been predicated on one scripture and i tell this to everybody if you go to luke 638 that will that represents my success and in luke six thirty eight, it says the first word in that scripture is give mm. that there's a comma that means stop pay attention give and then it says after that it shall it don't say it, it could be it might be it shall be given unto you and then it goes into a laundry list of how it's going to get be given back to you mm. but in order to activate the rest of that scripture you've got to understand the first word is to give Exactly. So if you give, the rest is, that's why I'll never worry about none of this stuff, man. Hmm. I don't worry about them. That's how I can do a gig for $200 or $2,000. It does not make a difference because, see, most people want the $2,000 gig. I like all the gigs. See, out of the $200 gig came this chance to meet you and be a part of your <laughs> broadcast. Yeah, absolutely. Now, because somebody could hear this and invite me to their church to speak or teach or, or preach or whatever. I don't know, but I would never have had the opportunity had I not taken the gig last week. That some people would have said, no, nah, I don't want to do that, man, a little one night in Kanye. No, nah, I don't want to do that. I'm like, what? You don't know. Matter of fact, when I got my TV deal in L.A., I was on the Oprah Winfrey show with Sinbad. Nobody ever called me. Not one call came in from being on the Oprah Winfrey show. She got 20 million viewers. Wow. But then I go out to L.A. and do the TV warm-up for Thea Vidal, who had a show on ABC called Thea. The next thing I know, I get a development deal from Castle Rock, Castle Rock Television to do a sitcom. Now, at the end of the day, they wrote the sitcom, and it was between me and LL Cool J. So you know who got the show, right? Yeah. yeah. LL Cool J. I remember that show. Because he had the name. Yeah. Yeah, it's called In the House. Yeah. Well, I was up for that same show. So all I'm saying is people think that success comes by this, this you know, being at this wherever. I don't know, stratosphere. But sometimes it's a simple thing. You could right be on the corner and stop a guy from getting hit by a truck and put your hand out. And he go, hey, man, thank you. And find out that you just saved the life of somebody that could that you would get ready to go interview with in the job and you got the job because you were just gracious enough to stick your hand out and say, hey man, here comes the truck, hmm. or something like that. So I don't take no gig for granted. Every gig has an opportunity. I would not have met you and I would not have been a part of this podcast had I not taken a gig. I met Lamont Farrell years ago doing stand-up in Philly and we've been friends. And then I saw him years later because he was a writer on the Parenthood show for Robert Townsend. Mm -hmm. And then he moved to Georgia and I moved to Georgia. And one day he called me and said, dude, I want you to come do my show. And Brad uh, Sanders, the guy who was the middle act, 
I used to listen to him when he used to be on the Tom Jordan show doing the soap opera update on yeah, Monday. I remember him, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it was it was it was a great night, man. And like you say, exactly. it was not, not not very many people there. But listen, yeah. Rodney, hey man, uh, we mm-hmm. we are up against the time thing, man. But okay, we really really appreciate you coming on to the Book of Dad Radio Show. Yeah, it's been great no fun. Pr- we gonna stay, we need to stay in touch. We're gonna do it part two for sure. Absolutely, man. <laughs> no problem. Though. We'll make sure that uh, people have the ability to get to your uh, uh, book and stuff and we'll have it on the website okay. and all that kind of stuff there but we'll definitely be in touch with you real soon man god bless you and Thank take you, care man. of yourself god bless you all right y'all enjoy yeah thanks Rodney. hey yep. another great show eddie g yes sir yeah. excellent excellent yeah this guy is unbelievable man like i say I, I when when he was there i was really taken back about how real and comedic he was you know i mean it, it's amazing but we can't babble along we got to get the show wrapped up i want to close out the show with one quick quote and that's this is that a child one thing a child should never feel is like they're an orphan, especially if they aren't one. Book of that radio show. I'm Dr. Robert Benson, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find out more about Robert Benson by visiting his website, thebookofdad.net, where you can purchase your own copies of Robert's books, The Book of Dad, Quotes for a Lifetime of Wisdom, and The Book of Dad Too. More quotes and anecdotes for a lifetime of wisdom. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.